Well, good morning. It's uh, morning. wonderful to be together this morning. Um, I'm aware of the time. We have limited time. I'm sorry if I went way over last night. I lost track of time. I didn't know what time I started. Uh, I know I need to finish on the hour, so uh, we'll, we'll work towards that. Um, I just need to do some selling here, and so uh, there are some books on the table outside. Um, there's a cup. Put in whatever you think it's worth. If you really cannot afford anything, and there's only a few, so please don't take more than you really will read. Um, and if you really can't afford it, you're welcome to take one of the books. Um, and if you can, then just put something in the cup. Um, we also have uh, MP3 um, uh, memory sticks, um, and uh, th there's only five, so if uh, one can go to each assembly, uh, if the uh, sound guys or the uh, pastors uh, are welcome to take one, there's no copyright on them, you're welcome to copy them. Um, they contain about, I've lost track, but I think about 1,400 messages. Uh, going through the whole of the New Testament, excluding Matthew, uh, Mark and John. Um, Mark is the only book that I have not taught through uh, verse by verse. Um, John was not recorded, um, and we're actually going through Hebrews for the second time. So uh, those are available. Uh, for those who have problems with sleeping, I hear that they work very well. <laughs> to All right, so we're going to move pretty fast this morning because I, I have so much to cover. Um, and so we're really just going to do some, uh, give you some bullet points. Uh, for those uh, brothers who aspire to being preachers, don't follow my example of how I'm preaching, especially not today. Um, I, I, I will be breaking every rule of, uh, of homiletics or of preaching. Um, and and, and I, I say that with sincerity because I, I know that there are younger brothers who look and say, well, you know, I want to be able to preach like that. Uh, don't preach like me. Um, I'm simply speaking from my heart. I'm not preaching um, a, uh, a, a properly structured sermon. Uh, so if you can bear with that. All right, so let's read from John chapter 4. And I thank God for confirmation that's come through various prayers and statements um, of uh, what we're going to share this morning. So uh, John chapter 4 and a reading from verse 19 through 26. John chapter 4, reading 19 through 26. And of course, this is the uh, woman at the well of Samaria. Uh, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so Jesus says the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. I just want to touch on that idea of truth. Uh, the word truth here is not in the sense of the opposite of a lie. 
Um, because when we hear the word truth, we say, well, you know, truth is the opposite of, of untruth. No, th this is truth in the sense of reality. Um, in the Old Testament, and the, remember the, the argument here is, do we worship here on Mount Gerizim or do we mount worship in Jerusalem? Um, uh, Jesus is saying uh, the worship in the Old Testament was not in reality. Uh, in the sense that it was in images and pictures and in types and in symbolism. The real worship would only happen as Jesus would open the way for us into the holiest of all. And we're able to come into the very presence of God. And we're able to worship in a real way, in the, in the substantial way. Now, uh, taking that idea then, Jesus is looking for those who will worship in reality. I think that, uh, that really the, the idea that I want to share with you this morning as we're going to cover many different areas is that much, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that much of modern Christian worship, and I'm not meaning worship in the sense of singing, but I mean how we live our lives, how we do Christianity is fake. It is not real. There is no substance to it. It's just like in the Old Testament. You could go there, you could bring your sacrifice, you could bring your wave offering, you could pray, but your heart didn't have to be in it. As long as you did the external stuff, everything was fine. You remember the Pharisees that Jesus contended with all the time. They were doing all the external stuff. But he says, inside you're full of dead men's bones. You wash the outside of the cup, but inside the cup is dirty. Now, I'm afraid that we have come to the same situation. We, we know what to say. We know when to sit and when to stand. We know the things that we're supposed to do. But there is no substance. There is no reality. There is no truth to it. And, and so, as I said last night, I'm not going to tell you anything new. But I'm trusting that somehow we can revisit the basics. Because the question is, how are we going to survive in the coming days? And even thrive. And the only way we will, and, and, and here's the problem, is that we're all looking for some magic formula. Some book, some preacher who's going to tell us, you know, if you just discover this great truth, then, you know, the whole of the faith is going to open up and everything's going to be wonderful and everything's going to be glorious. No, the, the message I have is that there is no new revelation. There is no truth. We need to get back to the basics. That's the bottom line. We need to get back to the basics. But we need to get to the basics in a real and in a substantial way. The, the other word that comes to mind as I just introduce the, the ideas is the, is the word of integrity. Now, the word integrity we use and we say, well, uh, you know, he, uh, he's honest in business, so he's a man of integrity. Well, the word goes beyond that. Um, it deals really with, uh, with that he is of the same substance through and through. Um, and so if you have, and I'm, I'm going to touch on James uh, in, a, in a moment, uh, where he speaks about being double-minded. If you have one face in the church and you have another face in the world, you do not have integrity because it's only skin deep. It's only on the surface. It needs to be real. It needs to be substantial. It needs to be integrity so that it doesn't matter how deep you dig into your character. 
it is the same thing. One of the things that is popular today is to speak about uh, someone acting out of character. Have you heard that phrase? You know, so, so, so somebody does something bad, and we say, well, you know, he's acted out of character. No, he didn't act out of character. He's just revealed his true character. Everything else was fake. But when you bump the... No, you don't understand that, Brother Werner does. When you knock the bottle of ink over, when I started learning to write, and I still can't write, we used ink in a bottle. And when you knock the bottle over, you discover what's inside. That's right. uh, the bottle may look nice and clean on the outside, but when the content spills all over your desk, it's a mess. And folk, when we get knocked, we discover what's really inside. And sometimes that inside only is revealed in the time of testing that we spoke about last night. Now, I, I gathered that uh, quite a few of you watch um, uh, Forged in Fire. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a show about, a reality show about making knives. And I mentioned that I make knives. Now, I made knives decades before Forged in Fire came in. Now, if you've watched Forged in Fire, you'll see they test, and I spoke about testing the, the knife. And sometimes the knife breaks. And then they'll examine the grain of the break and discover, oh no, there was a little crack, just a little crack, but it's what they call a stress riser and it caused the whole thing to fall apart. And folk, that is my concern, is that we have little cracks all over our Christian walk and uh, it all holds together until an extreme test and suddenly that little crack opens up and the whole thing falls apart. All right, so now, having said that by way of introduction, taking half, half my time, uh, let's, get to, uh, let's get to some specifics. So the first uh, scripture, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. I'm going to rely on the brothers to give it to us on the screen. Second Californians. <laughs> is, is the screen not on? No, that one's not working. Oh, okay. All right, so examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're disqualified? Folks, the first thing, and please don't be insulted, the first thing we must ask is, am I really saved? You say, well, brother, that's a stupid question and that's an insult because we're in a Christian camp. We're all Christians here. <coughs> Not necessarily. We spoke about the great falling away. Now, without getting into the technicalities, there are two kinds of people who fall away. Some people want to convince you that there's only one kind. In fact, two, both camps will convince you there's only... But no, there are two kinds of people who fall away. There are those who were saved and who fall away. And there are those who were never saved and fall away. They don't really fall away because they, as we said last night, they were never in. So how can you get out of what you weren't in? But they have a form of godliness. 
but they deny the power thereof. A form of godliness, a shape on the outside of being saved. Folk, I'm not talking about carnal people who come into the church and you always thought, well, they're worldly. I'm talking about people that everybody generally accepts, no, this person is really born again. But when they act in character, we discover, hang on, this individual has never been born again. Now, I can speak about that for a long time. I think we shared on that, that in Brisbane a couple of years ago. I'm not going to re-preach that, that whole message. But folk, I am, I am absolutely convinced and I am blown away by people who have served the Lord for decades sometimes. And suddenly you discover that there is no fruit of a genuine born-again experience. They've learned the language. They can say praise the Lord and hallelujah. They can uh, do the whole thing. They even become leaders in the church. They even become pastors. But they have never been born again. And so Paul says, examine yourself. He's writing to a church. He's not writing to the world. He says writing to, to Christians. And he's saying, examine yourself. Folk, we should not be afraid, and I think it's one of the things that's really heavy on my heart, is that we must examine ourselves and say, am I where I'm, what I ought to be? Because presumption is probably one of the biggest sins in the church today. We assume that we're right when we're not right. We assume we're saved when we're not saved. Now, I believe that we can have an assurance of salvation. Amen. And we must have an assurance of salvation. But unless you have it, and where are you going to get it from? Not from me. You see, that's the thing. We want to go to the pastor and we say, well, Pastor John, you know, am I saved? Now, I trust he doesn't. But, you know, generally you say, well, you know, did you ask Jesus into your heart? Do you pray the sinner's prayer? Yeah, I asked Jesus into my heart. I prayed the sinner's prayer. Well, brother, praise God, you're born again. Don't let the devil rob you of your joy. Those brethren who are elders and pastors and leaders in the church, don't give people false assurance of salvation. Because there's only one person, there's only one who can give you an assurance of salvation, and it is by that spirit who tells us, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And unless you get that from the Holy Spirit, don't assume you're saved. And you say, well, that's hard. Well, it's good that it's hard. Because if it takes you five days, if it takes you five months, if it takes you five years, then wrestle with God and get that assurance from Him. I, I often speak about when I fly because it's, it's one of the things that I don't enjoy doing. Some people uh, do enjoy, but I don't. And a hundred times, well, maybe not as many as that. My wife will, will tell you. 
I reach into my pocket. Have I got my passport? Is it, is it my passport or my wife's passport? <laughs> is it my South African passport which I need to fly to Africa or is it my American passport that I need for the rest of the world? Okay, got the passport. Have I got my ticket? Is this the ticket for this plane? Am I at the right gate? And folk, I am not eternally insecure. But I must check that I'm on the right plane going the right place. And if that's important for me to get to Australia, then it's more important for me to get to heaven and to ask the right questions. Am I really saved? Am I really on the right way? All right, now, uh, th that's a whole subject, and we, uh, we need to move on. James chapter 1 and verse 8. So, am I saved? The second question we need to ask is, am I single-minded? Am I single-minded? James 1 verse 8. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I'm not going to give you the context. You can get it for yourself. The, the word double-minded is the Greek word dipsukikos, double-souled. He has two souls. He has one soul for God and one soul for the world. He has one mind for God and another mind for the world. Remember we spoke about integrity, the same thing through and through. In the old days, they used to bite the golden coins uh, because maybe inside wasn't gold, inside was maybe lead. Uh, and I think that that was the way they could test that what's on the outside is what's on the inside. And so we need to be single-minded. And folk, too many Christians today have two minds. We have compartmentalized our faith. We have one way of thinking when we're in the church, and we have another way of thinking when we're at work. We have one way of thinking in, of speaking in the church. We have another way of speaking when we're at home. I believe in the speaking in tongues. But unfortunately, there are too many brothers and sisters who speak in other tongues in the meeting, and when they drive home, they speak in other tongues to their <laughs> husband. James says, out of the same fountain comes sweet and bitter water. It cannot be. It cannot be. You cannot be a different person in the church or in your prayer life to the person you are in the world. We must be single-minded. We must be the same person. The first time we, I came across this idea of compartmentalization is uh, quite a few years ago, you remember, uh, there was a president of the United States called Bill Clinton. And uh, Bill Clinton had these affairs. And he had the, this affair with the, his secretary or whatever she was. Um, 
And then the next Sunday, you saw him go to church with his Bible under his arm. And so there was some discussion, what, what's this all about? And the, the answer was simply compartmentalization. He has one compartment when he's outside of church, and that's who he is. But he has another compartment in which he lives when he's in church. And so he's one man here, he's another man there. And the two things never meet. Folk, we cannot be that way. That's right. We need to be the same right through. You cannot have a heart for God and a heart for the world. There needs to be one heart. There needs to be one soul. There needs to be one mind in every respect. Now, I'm not telling you anything new. But, folk, I need for us to think through our lives. Examine yourself as you live your life. Are you in any way different when you're amongst believers? to when you're outside of the fellowship of the saints, in any way? And the answer is, for most folk, we are. We are. And if that happens, there's a crack. And when the pressure's on, the thing will blow apart. All right, I'm just giving you points. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people. I'm going to speak about relationships in the next, in the next session. Pursue peace with all people and holiness with which, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I could have quoted many, many other scriptures that deal with holiness. Holiness is not a withdrawal from the world. Holiness is not a list of things that you shall not do. Holiness is not a negative thing. Holiness is a positive thing Amen. of what I do do, of what I do love. Let me use a, a simple example. And again, it's probably controversial. When I grew up, Christians didn't go to movies. What do you, what do you call it? Cinema? Christians didn't go there. Now, everybody does. I don't go. Not because I have a rule or because the church has given me a rule and saying you shouldn't go to the movies. Because remember, it's not whether you go to the movies because we now bring the movies into our house and we all have... Our brother sells these big things that you... <laughs> Good prices. <laughs> And we, and we bring them into, in, into our homes. But have you thought, and I'm just using this as one illustration, have you thought of what that is doing to you? And you say, but it's not X-rated. It's not, I don't know, what's, you know, G-rated or... It's family-rated. Is there such a thing? Whatever. But how is it affecting your thinking? How is it affecting your heart? How is it affecting your mind? When I was on holiday in, over Christmas time with my family, 
my uh, daughter wanted to watch um, Yellowstone um, movie about cowboys. Now, I used to like old cowboy movies, the old ones, because they're not real. And you. <laughs> and I watched one episode. I didn't sleep for three nights because of what I saw and how it affected me. And you say, well, it doesn't affect me that way. Well, that ought to tell you something. Have you become so inoculated against the world, the violence, the sex, the greed, that it doesn't even affect you anymore? And you can watch these movies without it affecting you? And that's just one illustration. So, so the, I've got off my point. But my point is this. I don't watch movies not because I have rules about not watching movies, but because I want to be pure in my relationship with the Lord Jesus. I want to wake up in the middle of the night. Well, I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. But when I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't want to be replaying these things. I want to see Jesus. And anything that prevents me from seeing Jesus, I don't want in my life. It's not a matter of saying, no, I don't want this, I don't want that, I won't go here and not there. No, it's what I do want. And I want Jesus. I want more of Him. I want to see Him. I want to know Him. And I want to know Him in reality. And anything that interferes with that has no place in our lives. That's holiness. And so are we walking in holiness? Are we cutting things out of our lives that are interfering in our relationship with the Lord or our relationship with one another? And we'll, we'll come back to that later. All right, so Hebrews 3 verse 18. Hey, we're over time already. No, you're not. We're up to 10.30. 10.30? Oh, okay. Phew. All right, uh, Hebrews 3.18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who did not obey? So guess what I'm going to talk about now? Obedience. And remember that 1 Corinthians 10 says that what happened to them happened as examples to us upon whom the ends of the world have, has come. And what happened to them, and it's, it's recorded in 1 Corinthians 10 and it's recorded again here in Hebrews uh, 3 and 4. They all came out of Egypt, but they did not all get into the land. Now, I'm sorry to harp on this, but this is, this is the thing. What was Egypt a picture of? The world. They got saved. Were they baptized? Yes. It says they were baptized in the sea. Were they baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes. It says they were baptized in the cloud. Did they drink 
of Christ. We heard about that last night. They drank of that rock which followed them, which was Christ. And yet they perished in the wilderness. Why? Because of unbelief and disobedience. These two things are connected in, these, in, the, in, in this context. But because of disobedience. Folk, we, we trifle with disobedience. And you remember what happened to Saul. Has God as much delight in sacrifice than in obedience? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. And folk, we say, well, you know, I, I do obey God. I, I, I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I do these things. But I can guarantee you, there is not one of us here, including myself, who if you examine yourself, there's not, there's not one of us who does not have one area at least in which we are walking in disobedience. God has said, do this, and we don't do it. God has said, don't do that, and we do it. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about the conviction that comes by the Holy Spirit. And so we, we, we've come to a place where we overemphasize grace. I thank God for grace. I thank God that there is grace for the greatest sin. But grace can never be a substitute for obedience. And you say, well, it's, you know, I'm not going to be... I'm not going to be damned. I'm not going to be, lose my salvation because I'm disobedient in this little thing. Yeah, you may not lose your salvation, but you're going to lose your peace. You're going to lose your relationship with the Lord. And the problem is that one level of disobedience leads to the next level of disobedience. Because in order to be disobedient, when God has spoken to you, whether it's through the preaching of the word or through the spirit, the witness or the, the conviction of the spirit, it doesn't matter which way it comes. But if, in order to be disobedient, you have to quench the spirit. You have to suppress the spirit. Because the spirit is saying, do this. And you say, no, not now. As we say in California, mañana, tomorrow. Tomorrow is another day. We'll do it tomorrow. And in the process, you're suppressing the Spirit of God. And when we suppress the Spirit of God, you see, we can't selectively suppress God's voice and say, I'm not going to hear God in this thing, but I want to hear Him in that thing. I recently had a discussion with a brother to whom I had to bring some correction. But in the discussion, he said, Brother, I want you to speak to me. I want you to tell me. But brother, when I spoke to you about this thing, you rejected what I had to say. Now, you want me to speak about other things, but you don't want to listen to this thing. And folks... That's the problem. We say, well, you know, 
I, I can filter out, because that's what we have to do. I can filter out the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I can, I can filter out the voice of God in this area. But, you know, I can let other things through, so God can speak to me. And, and No, it doesn't work that way. If you silence the voice of God in your life in one area, He will not speak to you on other, in other areas. It's as simple as that. Let me give you an illustration. And it's, a, it's just very graphic because it's one of those things that is so visible. Because most of the time when we are being disobedient, as pastors we don't often see that. Um, we, uh, we, but we're aware that there's something going on in a believer's life. They, 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 they stunted, they, they're not growing. And invariably it's because there's some form of disobedience. But sometimes it becomes very visible, particularly in the in something like water baptism, because it's a visible thing. And when a brother or a sister is not baptized in water, and a baptismal service comes up, and you know there's brother so-and-so, he is not baptized, he's been uh, a Christian for so many years, but he's not baptized, and uh, you announce and say we're going to have a baptismal service uh, next Sunday, um, and you pray that he will come and say, brother, I too want to be baptized. But he's, he doesn't. So, so we, it's, not, it's not a thing of, well, I'm trying to interpret what's going on in my brother's life. He, he's made a statement. I'm not going to be obedient in the matter of baptism. Always you will see that when that happens, the growth in that person's life stops. There's no further growth. And you wonder why there's no growth. And they wonder. And they say, why am I not growing? Because you've been disobedient back there. You see, the, the, the problem in education today, and I'm sure it's the same here in Australia as it is in America, and that is that we, we don't want, in the old days, uh, we don't even want to use the language anymore. We used to talk about someone being failed. In other words, instead of moving from grade 2 to grade 3, or year three to four, whatever you, your system is. Um, we, we don't want people to be held back because that makes them feel bad about themselves. Um, and so we, we move them on. Um, and so you literally have, and I have people in my church who are illiterate, who cannot read, but they have a grade 12. They've graduated from high school, but they cannot read. Uh, there are people in university who literally cannot read. They survive on YouTube and on uh, um, Google that's able to interpret, uh, that's able to read for them, um, and they, they listen to that, but they cannot read. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom. If you don't pass grade one, God is not going to move you on to grade two. And so wherever you get stuck, whether it's baptism or whatever it is, or whatever small issue, you say, Lord, I, um, no, no, you know, let me just skip over this and move to the next thing. God says, no ways. You fix that thing first, and then I'll show you the next step. And we wonder why we don't grow. And we wonder why some Christians, in a very short time, people get saved, and within, within months, they've outgrown others. We all have people in our churches who've been saved for one year or two years, and they are more mature and they are more spiritual than people who've been saved for 20 and 30 years. Why does that happen? 
Because the Spirit will take you as fast as you're willing to go. And it will take you as deep as you're willing to go. But the moment you balk and you say, no, I'm not going there. The Spirit says, I'm not going to force you. In South Africa, we had a, uh, we lived next to uh, the racetrack, uh, horse race track. And I used to s stand on my stoop, on my porch, and watch the horses uh, take off. The, the end was on the other side, but sometimes they would run from the side that we, we were on. And they would have these boxes or gates, I'm not sure what they call them, and they put the horses in there, and then they open the gates, and the horses are, are off. But sometimes the horse doesn't want to go in to the box. And so what, what, is, what do they do? Well, the handler takes the horse and takes the horse <laughs> around and brings the horse back. And the horse says, no, I'm not going in. Takes him around, brings him back. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit will do for us. You don't go in somewhere. You don't enter into whatever it is that the Lord is trying to get you into. He's going to take you another round around the wilderness. Sound familiar? Bring you back to Kadesh Barnea, same place. No, not going to go. Okay, another trip around the wilderness. And folks, there are some Christians who spend their whole lives going around the wilderness, around and around and around, and they say, but I've been here before. I've been in the same sin before. I've been in the same temptations before. How come I'm not winning? Because you're not going where God wants you to be going. And so he's going to take you around, bring you back. We say, but Lord, can't we just move on? You see, this is, this is one of the problems. And I, I think the next point is, no, not the next point, but we talk about repentance. You see, repentance, we touched on that last night. We, we don't want to do the repentance thing. Lord, can't we just move on? No. There's an issue. Needs to be dealt with. Same is true in our relationships. It seems that these days in, in our relationships amongst one another and in our relationship with the Lord, there's, there's this new way of thinking of saying, well, let's just forget about it. Let's move on. No, but there's a, an issue. There's an elephant in the room. There's sin that has not been dealt with. And God's not going to move on until you deal with it. Until there's genuine repentance, genuine turning away. And the moment we repent, the moment we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Notice that word confess. What does it mean? Saying the same as what God says. Yes, Lord, you're right. I did wrong. Simple as that. And yet those are the hardest words for us to say to the Lord, it seems. And to say to one another. I once knew a pastor who had committed terrible sexual sin over a long, long period. He asked to be restored after a few years. He'd been disciplined. He then decided to resign and to avoid the discipline. And then he came back to me and he said, I, I want to be restored. 
I said, but brother, you never set out your discipline. Oh, no, no, but you know, the discipline was unfair, a wrong argument. I said, all right, brother, here's, here's what we'll do. I'm talking about a man who was 20 years my senior. This is what we'll do. I want you to come to the board meeting. And I want you just to say to the board, brothers, I'm sorry, I sinned. That's all. I'm not asking you to get into details. I'm not asking you to mention the names. I'm not just say, I'm sorry, I sinned. That man went to his grave, unable to say those words. How many times do husbands and wives not talk for days, for weeks? Because neither is willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I'm sorry I was wrong. Those are the hardest words for us to say. And yet without saying them, the issue cannot be dealt with. Yeah, you can sweep it under the rug. But the next time it's going to come up again. It's going to be there again. Until we deal with it. And whether it's in our relationships with one another, whether it's in our relationship with the Lord, until the thing is faced and until the thing is dealt with, until it's killed and buried and gone, it's going to be there. You remember Saul. I touched on him briefly a moment ago. Remember Saul spares some of Amalek. And 38 years later, Saul is down and out, defeated by the enemies. Seems that he tried to commit suicide and he failed. And he looks behind him and there's a man, a young man who possibly was a baby when Saul spared the best of Amalek. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm an Amalekite. You see, those things that we spare, is wait, they, they're, they're waiting. And they're not just waiting, they're growing. And they're becoming stronger. And we can suppress it and we can ignore it and say, Amalek's not a problem. Amalek's a picture of the flesh. Amalek's not a problem. No, Amalek's getting stronger. And Amalek's waiting for the day that you're weak, that you're vulnerable, and he's going to be there to kill you. And so, obedience repentance. I want to speak very quickly about two more things. Prayer. Folk, we need to get to real prayer. Oh, but I pray. I have my prayer time every morning. And I know how that prayer time goes. Bless me, Lord. Help me with my job. Help me with my relationship, Lord. Bless my auntie who's got a groaning toenail. And Lord, bless the canary because the canary's got a cough. And uh, we have what we call the gimmies. Give me this and give me that and give me the other thing. And we call that prayer. Folks, that's not prayer. Prayer is a relationship with God. To, to, to use the same illustration I used a moment ago. 
we know one of the biggest problems in marriage is communication. And when I speak to couples, they say, but we communicate. Now tell me, what did you talk about this morning? Oh, we talked about the kids and we talked about the budget and we talked about the housework. But did you talk to one another about yourselves? Or did you talk about stuff? Now, this is not a marriage course. <laughs> but folks, talking in your marriage about stuff is not communication. Communication is when we open our hearts to one another. And talking to God about stuff is not prayer. It needs to go deeper than that. And you know, as I was thinking about this, what is it that we need to be praying? And we can have all sorts of lists, but at the end of the day, it, it needs to be a heart crying out for more of God. And folks, this is, this is not half an hour or an hour or whatever it is that you set aside in the morning or in the evening for prayer. This is a whole life crying out to God. I will not let you go unless you bless me. God, I need to know your blessing in my life. When you wake up in the middle of the night, if you can't sleep like I struggle to sleep many times, what is it that you think about? What is it that you do? And one of the things God dealt with me is that when I wake up in the night, I used to worry because I'm a warrior. Worry about my church and worry about my kids and worry about my finances. But David says, I, I cry out to you in the midnight hour. When we wake up, what is the first thing that we think about? Oh. So the Jeff knows I'm guilty. Folk is... Is my prayer life just times that I go through the ritual of praying? Or is my life a prayer? Am I crying out to God all the time? The day I left California, a sister who was supposed to clean the chapel floor, vacuum the floor, has been neglecting to do it. And I've been holding my wife back because she's struggling with her knee, and so I've said to her, don't do it. It's not good for you. So eventually, before I left on Tuesday, I got so irritated that I got the vacuum cleaner out and I started vacuuming the floor. And the sister comes and she says, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it, but I just need to pray first.
So she was praying. I said, Sister, we need to pray while we vacuum the floor. <laughs> this spiritual thing of I'm in my prayer closet, it's fake. Folk, I'm serious. It's what the Pharisees did. They prayed three times or seven times a day, and the rest of the time they prayed on their neighbors. God's not interested in your prayer times. God's interested in a walk with Him. Enoch walked with God. Everything he did, God was in it. Lord, are you pleased with the way I'm doing my job? Lord, are you pleased with the way I'm vacuuming the carpet? Lord, are you pleased with the way that I'm, that I'm relating to my wife? Crying out, Lord, help me. You see, we, we, we learn all these sophisticated and complex prayers. But it's void of reality. You know, one of the things that touched me, I, I like to read biographies when I travel because they're easier to concentrate on because I get distracted by everything going on around. And a couple of years ago, I read the story of um, Murray Machane, um, great Scottish um, revivalist, I guess. Young man, died very young. I think he was 30-something when he died, but yet made a massive impact for God. But, but you know, one of the things that, that struck me was here's this man who really touched Scotland and the United Kingdom, and in fact, much of the world at the time, with the gospel was at the, at, the, at the beginning of many of his sermons that he would write out and prepare were just the words, Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Now that can just be a, a, a ritual, a, a round thing. But I think that it's the substance that is reality. Scripture says sometimes we don't even know what to pray, but the Spirit helps our weakness. And I think that there's sometimes more substance to Lord help me than long, eloquent, elaborate prayers in which I'm trying to impress God and myself and everybody else with all my words. Folk, we need to get back to reality. We need to get back to substance. Let me speak to you finally. I'm over time, but... Uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it as short as I can. Let me speak to you finally about the Word. Oh, we need to be people of the Word. And I thank God that the churches that are represented here are primarily what we would probably call Word-based churches. Folk, it's no good knowing all the doctrine and there is no living YouTube is full of preachers who can give you the most complex analyses of the scripture and of Hebrew and of Greek and of this and that and the other thing, but there's no living. How do we read the Bible? Why do we read the Bible? Oh, so I can know more about the things of God. You know what? That's great. But how about that I can know more about myself?
You see, because a relationship is a two-way thing. We spoke about prayer. And reading the Word needs to be God speaking to me. Not God speaking to my wife when I read. Oh, Lord, I, you know, I hope my wife... Or we sit in the meetings. And as preachers, we see these things happen all the time. I can see the cogs growing. Oh, this is for my brother over there. I hope he's listening. No, brother, this is for you. That's right. And everything I've said this morning is not for this brother or that sister. It's for you. And everything that's written here. And pastors, we are more guilty of any one of this. Because we read and we say, well, th this is what God is saying to the congregation. No, what is he saying to me? And what I'm sharing with you this morning is what God is saying to me. And I'm preaching to me this morning. And every time I get in the pulpit and I preach the word of God, I'm preaching to myself. God help me that I come to a place where I'm so arrogant that I'm preaching to you and trying to remove the speck in your eyes when there's a log in my own eye. Folk, this needs to become real. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Not whether I go to China to preach the gospel or whether I do this or that or the other thing. On, see, I've forgotten. Tuesday or Wednesday was our wedding anniversary. I forgot. Because I was flying. Good excuse. But are we sensitive enough to the Spirit to say, you may have hurt your wife? by something that us me, as men think, well, yeah. it's her anniversary anyhow, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Folk, I, I trust you get, you get what I'm saying. It needs to become real. It needs to become personal. It cannot be an impersonal thing. Any, every aspect of my walk, needs to become me and Jesus. The Lord speaking to me, directing me, and me responding. And folk, when that happens, we just call that, Paul just calls that walking in the Spirit. See, walking in the Spirit is not being in some altered state of consciousness. It's simply doing what God is telling you to do moment by moment, step by step. And you know what? God directs us in every moment of our life. Whether you're in your job, whether you're in your recreation, whether you're in your relationships, God is speaking. God is directing. Because if we are born again, we have the Spirit. And the Spirit is leading us. Even in the mundane things. God help me that I might be able to be one who lives and walks after the dictates of the spirit and not the dictates of the flesh. Amen.